Father, you uh, have said that you want us to, to use our minds as we walk with you. Come, let us reason together. Christianity is about facts. It's about logic. It's about uh, suppositional truth. Uh, Jesus said in, in, in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He didn't say if you continue in emotion. Uh, we're emotional beings, but emotion cannot be at the center of our existence. We're grateful for emotions, but we can't live off how we feel. We have to live off of what is true. And I would pray for us tonight that as we come to open your word, and uh, we're obviously all coming from different situations, from different uh, uh, types of weeks. Some of us have had a really good week, very productive. Others of us have had a discouraging week. Seems like uh, everything's gone south this week. We, we all have those seasons. Uh, we fight off a little bit of discouragement. I pray tonight that wherever we are, you would help us. Here's my prayer. I pray that you would help us to think tonight. Help us to use our minds. Help us to engage our minds and to look at our lives and what's going on through the lens of your word. Um, we, we, we hear such negativity. We, we are lied to on a constant basis. Um, we're given false information. It, it seems to be uh, a huge industry. Yet we come to you and you offer us truth. Um, help us to think tonight. Help us to think straight. Would, would you realign our thinking? Where our thinking is deficient, would you fix it? Would you recalibrate our thinking? Uh, this is why we're going to open your word. When we open your word, we get truth. And when we get truth, we get perspective. If you continue in my word, then you're disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth sets us free. You've never lied to us. You've never misled us. You never take bribes. You never do backroom deals. You are a God of absolute holiness. You are the God who cannot lie. You are the, guy, the God who no sin, no evil dwells within you. You're holy, holy, holy. And you tell us truth. Now, tonight, would you help us to think and engage our minds? Um, give us energy so that we can think. Help us to think through the word of God that we're hearing tonight and apply it to our situations. Um, if we think straight about you and who you are, it'll change our perspective as we deal with the situations that are before us. As we think clearly about you and what you have promised, uh, it'll put peace in our hearts. It'll stabilize us. It'll steady us. We ask that you would do that for us tonight. For every man, we would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our subject for this semester, if you've been with us, uh, we got kind of a one-word title for the series this semester, and the word is manna, M-A-N-N-A. Manna, um, historically, you can find it, it there, there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a piece of history of Old Testament Israel, and you can find it in Exodus chapter 16, is where we've been focusing. If there is one uh, verse that has been kind of our theme, uh, on this study, it has been John 6:35, where Jesus said, um, "He who believes, uh, he who comes to me, will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst." Uh, as we have said, and I don't want to spend too much time on a review, but as we have said, if you've been with us in this study in John 6, Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." Uh, 
And when he says that, he is making a statement about all of life. He owns all of life. Um, earlier in John 6, he feeds the 5,000. Uh, as we have pointed out, that's 5,000 men, the text says. When you include the wives and kids, you've got about 20,000 people. So the feeding of the 5,000 is actually the feeding of the 20,000. They had five loaves. They had two fish. Uh, how are we going to do this? He talks to Philip. They're scratching their head. Jesus prayed over the, the small amount of food. He began to distribute. Everybody was fed till they were full, and they picked up fragments of baskets. What he was doing, he was proving <clears throat> that he is the bread of life. Uh, he is the bread of all life. He is the giver of life. He is the creator of life. Uh, every level of life, every aspect of your life, we break our lives up into different segments, we break our lives up into different areas. You got to have physical food. Uh, we we got to have that every day. Um, but life is more than food. Um, you've got to have, uh, you, you, you've got to have a job. And when we're out of work for a season of time, or if you're self-employed and things aren't happening, that's a stressful time. Because we count, we count on our ability to work in order to bring in the funds that we need to take care of life, including physical provision. Deuteronomy 8.18, 8, the Bible says, it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. We have different gifts, we have different aptitudes, we have different abilities. Some of us are craftsmen, we work with our hands. Some of us uh, um, have skills with mathematics, with engineering. Some of us are, um, well, we're just all over the map. That's why you can take these different inventories that will help you assess your interest in your aptitudes and your giftedness, and nobody has all the gifts. Nobody. Uh, but you have some, and some have been withheld. Usually when a man works in his area of giftedness, um, we experience uh, joy in our work because we are doing something that we were created to do. And a lot of times if you're frustrated in your work, it's because you're kind of out of position. It's like a guy who should be a shortstop who's playing catcher. That isn't, I mean, he can play and he can catch a ball, but uh, he wasn't designed to squat nine innings. He was designed to go left and right and do Ozzie Smith backflips and do all this stuff. And Ozzie Smith should not have been a catcher. Pudge Rodriguez should not have been a shortstop. See, we all have different gifts and God oversees this. Um, it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. We have relationships. Um, no man is an island. We were meant to be interconnected. Life is hard when our most intimate relationships are, are broken and are fragmented. It makes it really hard on everybody. Uh, but so much, relationship, so much of life is relationships. Who, in, who created this stuff? God did. He created families. He created children. He created extended families. He created tribes and nations and spread them out over the earth. Uh, he is the Lord of all of life. Uh, all things were made by him and for him and through him. So he is the Lord of all of life. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he's talking about every level, every aspect of life. He's talking about science. He's talking about everything. Um, In, in Exodus 16, we see a snapshot of the history of Israel that lasted for 40 years. They were, um, the context is this, they were coming out of Egypt after 400 years as slaves. They were making their way under the leadership of Moses up to the promised land, to the land that God had promised to give to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 the Abrahamic covenant. Because of the unbelief of 10 of the 12 spies from Numbers 13, uh, God said, pick a spy, pick a leader from each tribe um, to do a reconnaissance mission. They went and checked out the land. You remember this. 
They saw the cities uh, of the Ites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Amorites, all the different Ites up there, highly technological advanced people. Uh, they are up there for 40 days. They come back. They say it's an incredible land. The Ites were on the land that had been promised to the Israelites. Um, Ten of the Twelve Spies said there's a literal race of giants up there, and there, and there was. We can't take these guys. Uh, their uh, lack of belief influenced the congregation, and suddenly the congregation is saying, God has brought us out here to die, and our children are going to die out here. And so God says, here's what we're going to do. Uh, any, anyone over 20 years old is going to die in the next 40 years. Now, the 10 spies were taken out immediately. Uh, they died. But the rest of you are going to wander. And those of you uh, who have said, I'm going to bring your, I, I brought your kids out here to die, what I'm going to do is, um, you're going to die during the 40-year period. And what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm going to bless your kids, and they're going into the land, and they're going to get the blessing that you didn't think I would ever give. That's the context. Uh, so they go deeper and deeper into the wilderness. They're further and further away from civilization. And what that means is you've got two million people and all their supply lines are cut off. How do you feed two million people in a wilderness for 40 years? If you look at Exodus 16, uh, supernaturally, God fed those people. In the morning, they would go out. There would be like dew on the grass. It would uh, evaporate. There would be a wafer-like coriander seed protein bar, if you will, that could be baked or boiled or ground. It's all described there in that passage. And uh, it was there every morning. If you took too much or if you took too little, God proportioned it so it was exactly the right amount. You weren't to try to save it for the next day. If you tried, it would develop worms and go bad. And so when you went to bed that night, there was nothing left in your tent. You were out. And here is the deal. If God didn't come through the next morning, you were in big trouble. This is interesting to me because Psalm 94 has a, has a verse that says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations delight my soul. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me. First of all, anxious thoughts, they, they never just come by themselves. You'll never have just one anxious thought. Have you noticed that an anxious thought quickly breeds and morphs into another anxious thought? If you've had anxiety in the last 24 hours, and if you take your anxiety, uh, your anxieties, I should say, uh, which can turn into fears, and uh, and it's good to do this. If you can step out of it for a minute and kind of analyze what's going on with anxiety, really what your anxiety is, is that you have a need, you have a critical need, and the root, the, uh, we used to, when you learn how to work fractions, remember that, you had to reduce a fraction to work a fraction? If you take your anxieties and reduce it to its lowest common denominator, really when you get right down to it, what the root issue is, what if God doesn't come through for me? Is that not it? I'm anxious about this situation. I don't see how it's going to be resolved. I don't see any kind of solution. And see, what do you need in that situation? You need manna. The thing about manna, it would be there every morning. On the sixth day, they were to take double. Now, now at night, here's, and then in Exodus 16, God sent quail in the evening. But the manna would come in the morning. It would last enough for the day for each person. Uh, at the end of the day, you're out. It needs to be there in the morning. You need Lamentations 3 says that his mercies are new every morning. We thank God for the buckets and the bins of grace that we've enjoyed today. But we're going to go to sleep tonight. And as great as this grace was today, it's been used up. We need a fresh bin tomorrow. Do we not? But he says that his compassions and his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. The thing about manna was, when they went to bed at night, they could worry themselves sick. What if it's not there in the morning? Well, you're in trouble. But God never missed. 
On the sixth day, they were to take twice the amount because there would be no manna on the seventh day because of the Sabbath. And they took twice the amount and it wouldn't go bad, showing the supernatural character of the provision of God. Uh, you know what man is? Flip with me to Hebrews 4.17. In Hebrews 4.17, uh, 4.16, I'm sorry, there is no 17th verse in Hebrews 4. So we want verse 16. Familiar verse, perhaps. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It could be translated this way. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Whatever you were anxious about over the last 24 hours, let's just, let's just focus in on you and your life and what you're dealing with. Whatever your anxiety is, whatever my anxiety is, and I had anxiety yesterday, as you probably did. Look at this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace. And literally, you could translate it this way, for a well-timed help in any and every area of your life when you are in need of a well-timed help physically uh, for provision for food uh, for your health um, for your job for a relationship uh, for a wayward son or grandson whatever it might be in, in all the different areas of life, when you are in need of a well-timed help, in essence, you are looking to Christ, who is the bread of life, the bread of all of life, to give you manna, and He is the manna for whatever you're facing. Christianity is Christ. He is the answer for what it is that ails you. He is the provider in every area of life because he is the creator of life. What do you need? You need a well-timed help. Timing is critical, is it not? And so often we get under pressure, and the closer you get to the deadline, there are all these deadlines in life that are put upon us. The closer you get to the deadline, the greater the stress, the greater the anxiety. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, watch this, thy consolations delight my soul. What is, this, what is it that stabilizes us and calms us and enables us to fight off anxiety and to fight off fear in the midst of looming pressure and a deadline where we see no alternative and we see no solution? What is it? When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, watch this, Thy consolations delight my soul. Well, what are his consolations? His word, his promises. Those are the consolations. And they're everywhere in Scripture. Um, what I want to focus on tonight, we've been talking about the manna. For 40 years, God showed up on time with the manna. He never missed once. It was there uh, it, it was there when it was supposed to be there. It wasn't ever early and it wasn't ever late. Uh, we've heard this term, just-in-time inventory. And there was a man named, I think his name was Edwards Deming, who was the man who supposedly came up with just-in-time inventory and, you know, was, uh, anyway, went to the American automobile manufacturers with this in the 50s and I remember uh, taking a field trip in high school, the General Motors plant in Fremont, California. We looked at the assembly lines, and the thing that struck me were the warehouses. They had massive warehouses, just massive, had huge warehouses, you know, just full of bumpers. I mean, they must have had six months worth of bumpers in there. They were just full of parts, you know. And Deming, Edwards Deming, came along and said, "Hey, um, you don't need those warehouses." If you guys did this right, you could work it so that the bumpers you need for the cars that are being assembled this afternoon, why don't you have them show up at 9 a.m., 
because you don't need them until 3 a.m. Why would you build those? And they all thought he was nuts. So he went to Japan, and they listened to him, and then they cleaned our clocks. And then suddenly, after a few years, they're calling Edwards Dimming, hey, can you get back to Detroit? We'd like to talk to you. Uh, they say he's the father of just-in-time inventory. Actually, he is not the father of just-in-time inventory. God the Father is the father of just-in-time inventory. Manna is all about timing. As we go through life, almost on a daily basis, we find ourselves in some level of our lives in need of a well-timed help. And because he is Lord of every area of life, he has the ability, he is the bread of life, he has the ability to come through for us at any and every level of our lives with a well-timed help. What I want to talk about tonight, what I want to focus in on, is the whole issue of time and timing. Um, we want to think straight tonight about what God says about time. So I want to give you some principles, and I want to move pretty quickly through this. Let's just jump into it. Number one, God owns time. He owns it. Um, Bruce Waltke, uh, the great Old Testament scholar, in his Old Testament theology, and I got three pages worth of stuff, and I'm not going to read it all. But one of the things he talks about is the sacred seasons. In the Old Testament, there was a, there was a calendar. We've got calendars. We've got our sacred season. We have our, our uh, holidays coming up. Our holidays are the holy days. We don't call them that anymore. But, you know, let's keep the Christ in Christmas. Let's keep the holy in holidays, huh? Why not? Let's try that. Um, <coughs> Israel had their calendar. We've got our calendar. Um, and, you know, three times a year, they were to come either to the tabernacle or to go to Jerusalem, and God called them three times a year, the men, and they could bring their families. He's talking about these sacred seasons. Uh, he says this, and I'm just jumping in the middle of here. He says, God is always present in his dwelling. Uh, at first, it was the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the, the, they had the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, later the temple. Um, what, is, what is, and throughout the scripture, um, God makes appearances all the way through the scripture. And there is a particular name that is given to him, and it's the name, what we would call Yahweh, which is translated, I am that I am, or literally, I am. Um, uh, I am would meet them on special occasions, and he would, and he would set times to meet them. Um, Walkie goes on. I, I can't get too hung up in the details here. He says, when is the right time to call upon God? He says, there are two answers. One is defined by the Greek concept, chronos. Some of you guys have a chronometer. Uh, Regularized time for worship as determined by the order of creation. The other is by kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, which is decisive time, as ordered by the order of redemptive history. Now, forget, don't get too hung on, hung on it. Listen to this next sentence. God created the astral bodies, the stars, the solar system, to write into the order of creation the time for Israel to commune with him. Uh, when God put the stars and the moon and the sun in place, that affects the whole earth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. Um, when they had their annual festivals, uh, as you're going to Genesis 8, uh, Walkie says the annual festivals were marked by transitions from rainy to dry seasons. Uh, these corresponded with the agricultural festivals and other ancient Near East Eastern religions. Um, so they would, they would often have to do with harvest, barley harvest, grape harvest, uh, olive harvest, all these harvests. Um, but God also tied in his worship with the harvest 
they were to come, uh, let's say later, to Jerusalem to the temple, and it was uh, two out of three times it had to do with harvest. And it was a time of worship, it was a time of joy, it was a time of getting together. But they didn't have an iPhone with a calendar, they didn't have reminders, so what was it that helped them set their calendar? It was the stars, which at night, they didn't have all this electric light everywhere. Um, you, ever, you ever go out somewhere where it's just dark, really, really dark? And if you go somewhere, like if you drive up in the Rockies some night, and you're in between towns, and it's a clear night, and you happen to look up, I mean, you're just overwhelmed with the, with the stars, you see. Uh, those stars, they're fixed stars, and they're fixed solar systems, and they have to do with the seasons, and they have to do with the tides. Let's go to Genesis 8. Let me show you something real quick. I'm kind of beating around the bush when I want to just nail this and move on to the next point. Um, look at Genesis 8, after the flood. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, 30 years ago, you could read Time Magazine and they were talking about global freezing. Now it's, of course, global warming. I'm sure something is coming down the road, perhaps a global thawing. Uh, I have no idea what, what could be next. But whatever they are alarmed about, whether the earth is going to freeze or the earth is going to bring, is going to get heat, all that. Forget that stuff, because here's what God says, the God who owns time and owns the earth and owns the creation and upholds all things by the word of his power. Here's what he says. While the earth remains, and he owns it, and he sustains it, seed time, harvest time, cold heat, summer, winter, day, night, shall not cease. He owns the times. If you go to John chapter 8, you will see that he owns the times. Uh, he's having a conversation, Jesus is, with the leaders of the nation. They don't like him. Uh, he tells them the truth. They are calling in the question, uh, his heritage. They're saying he's illegitimate. They are saying that uh, their father is Abraham. There's this amazing give and take going on in John chapter 8, uh, they basically say that he's illegitimate. If you look at verse 41, um, uh, he's basically saying that, you know, their, their, their father is Satan. Uh, if you look down at 44, uh, you were of your father the devil. That's how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now see, earlier, they are saying to him in verse 40, 41, they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. See, they heard about this virgin birth thing. Well, that can't be. I mean, you're illegitimate. Our Father is God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come forth on my own initiative, but he sent me. Uh, you get this give and take all the way down. Uh, 53. Uh, in 52, Jesus, uh, they, they comment on what Jesus said. You said, If anyone keeps my word, you will he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And you continue on down. Verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And man, this just really got them in a wad over this thing, because, uh, I mean, Abraham lived 2,000 years before this. And the Jews said to him, you, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. You know what he's saying? 
He said, I'm God. I am. That was used at the burning bush. Take off your sandals, Moses. I am that I am. Uh, what that is, that is a statement that I am the I am the God who has no beginning. Uh, it is called, uh, the theologians call it the Asadi of God. Um, uh, is it the Apostles' Creed that says, um, existing of Christ, existing uncreated before time began. God has no beginning. God has no end. God has always been. It doesn't say in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God was created. It doesn't say that, does it? It says in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. So what does that mean? God was there before the beginning because God has always been. There has never been a moment where God was not. This, your mind's starting to break into pieces, is it not? You say, this is really hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Yeah, it is. God is knowable, but he's incomprehensible. He has always been. Uh, what Jesus is saying when he says, I am, he is saying, I am the self-existent God. That's who I am. So therefore, because he is the self-existent time, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You're not even 50 years old. Yeah, before he was, I am. I made Abraham. I made the worlds. I'm God. They understood fully what he was saying because they took up stones to kill him. All right, let's just stop for a minute. So the stuff that you were anxious about yesterday and the stuff I was anxious about, just stop and put that in context. That Christ the Lord, whom you follow and I follow, that's who he is. And I'm concerned, and I've got this anxiety about this situation and a deadline. And if I don't have a well-timed help, I'm in trouble. Well, guess what? He owns time. He owns it. And the reason I'm even on the earth is by his will. If you look at Job 14, that the days of a man's life, the weeks, the months are measured. There are boundaries. You can't break it. If you go to Psalm 139, how many times have I quoted this? Your eyes have seen my unformed substance before you showed up on an ultrasound. Before, you, you remember your wife, you went in there and they did a little jelly on the belly and the little thing and you see that little kid in there swimming around. It's pretty exciting. But David says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. When I was a sperm and an egg, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Watch this. And in thy book, they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet, there was not one of them. What does that mean? The anxiety that you are dealing with today, God knew about before the foundations of the world because he had a plan for your life that included the day and the anxieties, and he already has a well-timed help in mind for you because he is the bread of life. He's got you covered. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from difficulty or from trials or hardship. But when I step back and understand that I even exist in time is by his will, and he owns all of time, this issue that is before me, that is stressing me and worrying me and keeping me up at night, it's part of his eternal plan. He already has a solution in place, even though I can't see it, because he is the bread of my life. And he offers me a well-timed help. Is this making any sense? See, this is where you got to think. Martin Lloyd-Jones says you got to go back to first causes. What, whatever it is, and I had some of this last night. I'm out walking around dealing with some stuff, and I'm doing precisely this. I'm going back all the way to first causes. Because I had to go to sleep. And you know what helps me sleep? This helps me sleep. Oh, by the way, because he gives to his beloved even in there sleep. Because he's the bread of life. Uh, someone said, there's no reason for you to be up all night anyway. Just go to sleep. He'll be up all night. And he doesn't get fatigued. He owns time. Um, here's the second point. 
God appoints the times. He appoints the times. Uh, if you look at Daniel eleven twenty seven, it uh, Daniel was sh shown some things that were going to come that that just made him sick to death about the future. He was told, "This isn't for your time; it's for a later time." And you'll read in there that God has appointed certain events in the future to happen, and they will happen. This is why you, we, we, when you study Daniel and Revelation and some of the other, you see that God has a plan for the ages. History is going somewhere. It, it, it just isn't chaos. God is taking this somewhere, and you, you read the Scripture, and there is a prophetic plan, and there will be a time where things in Matthew 24 are going to get worse and worse. Every democracy on the face of the earth will be extinguished. There will be no democracies. There will be a one-world government. There will be an antichrist. There will be a false prophet. But that's not the end of the story. There are different prophetic things that are going to happen. Ultimately, Jesus returns. Ultimately, there will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. All this nonsense is going to be taken care of. He'll rule and reign forever. There'll be no pain. There'll be no heartache. There'll be no sickness. That's where it's going. But we're not there yet. You see, that's all appointed. It's fixed. It's fixed. Uh, if you look at Daniel chapter 2. No, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's the appoint. All right, all right, okay. I knew this was going to happen. Because I'm watching that clock, and I want to just say this publicly. I hate that clock. <laughs> See, what that clock does, that clock creates anxiety. <laughs> I'm just thinking this through. I'm going back to first causes. That clock creates anxiety in my heart. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, I start trying to go too fast, and then I skip points. So let's just trust the sovereignty of God. Somebody unplug that sucker and, no, no, leave it on, please. Just leave it on, Ben. Let me just slow down because we'll be fine. All right, he appoints times. Let's just leave it there. I, I, I think you'd buy into that with me, okay? He appoints the times. Let's go to number three. He changes the times. He changes the times. Daniel 2. Now, as we get older, what happens is we get comfortable with life. And the older we get, oftentimes the less we like change. Just kind of how things work. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel was taken off into captivity. The nation of Judah went into captivity for seven years, 70 years. Um, Daniel was part of the royal internship program with his three buddies in Babylon. And at one point, the king had a dream. It was very disturbing. He gets all of his uh, wise men, and he says, listen, usually I tell you the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation. I I'm sick and tired of paying you guys all this money. I, I want you to earn your money this time. If you're so smart, you tell me the dream. Well, they got a little concerned. There's nobody on the earth who could do that. Well, actually, there was. And God reveals the dream to Daniel. In Daniel 2, verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God told him what the king dreamt. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Now watch this. It is he who changes the times and the epics. Or it is he who changes the time and the ages. So when times change, it's just not, um, it's just not a, a, a change of ideas or of movements or of revolutions. Ultimately, God is behind any change in the times. See, you've got to live your life. And when we see times, and, we, and sometimes we're excited by the times. Other times we're depressed by the times. Sometimes we look around at what's going on and it depresses us because we think we see things changing in a way that, that alarm us and scare us and frighten us about the future and for the future of our children and our grandchildren. But we've got to take a step back. How do you get any peace 
when you're concerned about the future because the times are changing. How do you get any peace? By understanding, by thinking, by looking at life through the lens of the Word of God, by interacting with the truth. And the truth is, if times are changing, God is changing the times. That's the truth. So if God is changing the times, and God has made promises to me regardless of the times, then I can go to sleep. Because he's the same, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. He doesn't change. The times may change, he doesn't change. See, i got to think about that. And when I think about that, my anxiety level goes down, my heart gets stabilized, I get peace, and I can relax and just blade at his feet. Okay. Here's the next one. God hastens the times. H-A-S-T-E-N-S. We don't use that word a lot. God hastens the times. Isaiah 60, verse 22. Why are we talking about time? Because we live in time. And we're under time constraints, we're under time pressures. And a lot of times our anxiety, our anxiety comes because we need something in our lives to be supplied at a certain time, and it's getting close, and we don't have it right now. So we get anxious. Do we not? All right. So this is why we're talking about time and timing. Where am I going? Isaiah. 62. Yeah. Uh, it's actually Isaiah 60, verse 22. 60, verse 22. We read this. Uh, he's... There's a context to the nation, and he's telling them what's going to take place. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least one a mighty nation. All these things are going to take place. Now watch this. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Let me explain this to you. We look at our lives sometimes, and what happens is, we, we run our lives according to a certain time schedule that we get. And we kind of look at our life, and we look at the course of life and the seasons of life, and we kind of get an idea, this is how a life ought to look. And, you know, at certain points, at this point in life, I should be here and have this and have that. And then I get a little further in life, and I should be a little further. I should advance. I should be increasing. I should have this and this and accumulate a little more. And then I should be here and here. And we got this nice little thing all scoped out for our lives. But oftentimes what happens is that things come in that are unforeseen, and they just gum up the whole works. And we suddenly look around, and we find ourselves way behind schedule. Okay? Have you ever worked those charts in those financial magazines about what you're going to need to retire? And you go ahead and retire, and you figure out that if you're, supposed, if you're going to retire at a comfortable level with the time you have left, you've got to save, save $17,000 a week. <laughs> because you've had some reversals, and uh, you know, you're just a little uh, uh, anxious about that because you're not quite clear how that $17,000 a week is going to come in. We think about this, don't we? Oh, yeah, we think about it all the time. And we start getting anxious. Why do we get anxious? Because, well, I can't keep up this pace forever. And at some point, I'm in a, I mean, I'm getting older, and I can't, I, I don't, won't have the energy. And, and, you know, I may have it for X amount of years, but when that runs out, what the heck am I going to do? Because I don't see the provision. All oh, well, then what you're going to need is a well-timed help. Right? That's what you're going to need. Yeah, but I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, you don't need to know how it's going to happen. You just need to know who will make it happen. Right? That's what he does. That's his specialty. That's what he promises to do. So Isaiah 
How many times have we read that? That's one you keep reading. Isaiah 46, 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your grain years, I will bear you. Yeah, but my health care has just suddenly changed. Okay. I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> Seems to be uh, some discussion going on about this. <coughs> yeah, it didn't used to be this way. Oh, you're telling me the times have changed? Okay. Well, now, what did we just read a minute ago? When times change, who changes them? Yeah, oh, now wait a minute, I'll tell you who changed it. Yeah, I know, I know, I, 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 I get that. But look it, look it. Who's running the show? Who's running the world? Read Isaiah 40. Just read Isaiah. Just read the whole thing. Get up in the morning, have your cornflakes, and read Isaiah. And you'll feel better. Because in Isaiah 40, God says, to whom then will you liken me? Who do you think is great and who do you think is powerful? Great nations, they're meaningless and they're void. I raise them up, I set them down. You have the rise and fall. We're in decline. And God was in our rise and he's in the decline. Great leaders, are they powerful? I blow on them and they wither. You go back to Daniel 2. I raise up kings, I set them down. He runs them. He owns them. Yeah, but they're very powerful. They're in high places. He's most high. They're high, he's most high. They serve at his pleasure. He uses them for his purposes. That's what he does. Okay? So I was back in Isaiah 46.3. Even to your green years, I will bear you. Yeah, but my health care has changed. You think he doesn't know that? You think he's not aware of that? Yeah? Okay. Well, then, then you know what? Go home and eat a cheeseburger, man. <laughs> Watch some baseball. Go home and relax. Just chill out. He's got you. Look at this. Look at this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Well, what if I get up in front of a death panel? You know what? What if you do? Your life is in his hands, not any human hand. Psalm 68, to the Lord belongs escapes from death. You can't die till your work is done. I was talking to a gentleman this morning. I was eating breakfast at Corner Breakery. Local pastor, hadn't seen him in a while, came up. We were just talking. He had recently had some cancer. We were just talking for five minutes. Hey, how's the cancer come? I'm in remission. I'm doing pretty well. But he had a very, very rare form of cancer. And he said, you know, I met some people with that. And it's interesting, with that rare form of cancer, I met some people really doing well. And I believe he said six of them have died in the last several weeks. And, it's, you know, and he said, you know, that's a little... I said, yeah. And I loved his honesty. He said, so I, I, you know, he said, I feel a little fragile. I loved his honesty. Well, shoot, if that was me, I think I'd be feeling a little fragile, wouldn't you? Sure. We're just human. And we just talked about that for a minute. I said, you remember old George Whitfield, the great evangelist? He, he knew all about him. And what was his quote? I can't die until my work is done. See, he was feeling fragile because... He's in remission from a rare type of cancer, yet he has some folks he has met who are in remission, and they've suddenly died. So he's feeling fragile. Now, was I feeling fragile about my life? No, but I should be, because I'm just as fragile as he is, just in a different way. We're all fragile. But the length of my days and his days and yours is all in the hands of Almighty God. Right? Okay. Go to John 6. 
You say, you already talked about John 6. Yeah, but there's something else in John 6. Because this is under, he hastens the times. Now, I really didn't nail that. He hastened, here's what I'm trying to say. Because I got off on Isaiah 46. Uh, on, uh, he'll carry you your whole life. See, sometimes we look at our lives and we say, I'm behind schedule. And there's no way I can make up this time. There's no way I can make up this financial loss. There's no way I can do it. Uh, I just don't have enough time. But God can hasten times. In Joel, in Joel, it's, I think it's two or three. It's somewhere in there. Once again, just read Joel. It'll be good for you. <laughs> and when you find this verse, mark it. The years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. And once again, I'll quote Martin Lloyd-Jones on that verse. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you know, locusts can come year after year after year. Let's say you've lost 10 years crop to locust. He said, the great thing about God is that God can give you 10 years crop in one year. He hastens the time. See, oh, I'm way behind. Yeah, but he can speed it up. I'll prove that to you in John 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right in between the feeding of the 5,000 and 635, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, you got this account of Jesus walking on the water, and it picks up right there in verse 15, uh, actually 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. After getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles. Have you ever rowed three or four miles at the end of a long day? Not on calm water, in a storm. May I say this? These guys are getting tired. These guys are getting fatigued. These guys are running out of resources. And you know what these guys need? They need some manna. What these guys need is a well-timed help. That's what they need in their life at a certain level at that moment. And so what happens? They're frightened. Now, they had rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now watch this. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And they were four miles away. He got in the boat. They're exhausted. They're worn out. They're at least four miles out. He gets in the boat. He hastens the time. Is that not wild? He is not limited by time. He is not limited by space because he is God. And he's your God. And he's my God. Is the arm of the Lord too short that it cannot save? You and, you and your situation? No. Doesn't matter what it is. He hastens the time. I don't care how far behind you are. He can get you caught up immediately. Here's number five, and here's number six. And these, essentially, I have taken from uh, Obadiah Sedgwick, the English pastor of about 400 years ago, in his little book, Providence Handled Practically. Here's, here's point number five. Um, I don't like the way I wrote it there. I wrote it differently here. God will take time to do the most good in your life. Say that again. God will take time to do the most good in your life. See, what we've been doing, we've been talking about... Um, 
Well, we've been talking about manna. That's where we started. He's the bread of life. What's manna? It's a well-timed help. Uh, we talked about the fact that we experience anxiety as we go through life on all kinds of different levels. Why? Because we're running up against time and we don't have the resources that we need. Okay? So we need a well-timed help. Okay? What we've done is we have backed up and we've looked at the... See, that's our lives. That's my existence. It's very important. But that's my little sphere of existence. I've got my issues. You've got your issues. What we've done, we've taken a step back and looked at Jesus, who says, I am the bread of life. And we looked at the fact that... Um, What's true about him? We've looked at the fact that he owns time, he appoints time, he changes the time, he hastens the time. And now we're going to, see, we've been looking at the big picture. We've been looking at macro. Now we're going to hone in on us and our situation. But before we can start with us, we've got to start with him. Now let's talk about us. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 31. And the issues that are before us right now as we walk through life. Psalm 31, verse 14. The psalmist says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Watch this. My times are in your hand. There you go. He owns time. He created time. He appoints times. He changes the time. He hastens the time. Oh, by the way, here I am in my little sphere of the world, living my life with my responsibilities. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. And I say to you, but Lord, as for me, I trust in you. Guys, look it. The reason we find ourselves in these situations is that he keeps moving us to trust him. It's all about trust. The Christian life is all about trust and our tendency. John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idle factory. We're not worshiping graven images, but we worship certain things that in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, but sometimes we turn them into gods. And we trust in bank accounts, we trust in investments, we tr nothing wrong with those things. A, a wise man saves up for his children and their, and their children. Nothing wrong with being wise and being smart and being a good steward, obviously. But see, you cross the line when you start trusting in those things. He doesn't want me trusting here or here or here. He, uh, what does it say? But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Now watch this. He takes time to do us the most good. Sometimes, now here's the deal. He will get you through daily. You may squeeze by by a buck 17. Maybe that's all you got in your account. I don't know what it is. He promises daily provision. Okay? But there's a bigger deliverance. We're, we're in a situation and we need a deliverance. We need a providence. And what we want to do, we look around and we want out of this thing now. We want to be delivered now. In, in August, when we met and had our In-N-Out burger thing, which was a bunch of fun, I, I use this illustration. And it's a true illustration. Mary does these protein shakes, and she uses bananas. And, you know, maybe once a week, every 10 days, I'll get a text. I'm out running around. I'm coming, hey, on the way home, can you get some bananas? And so, yeah, I go by the store. And uh, I, I guess it was Walmart I walked into. And, man, they had bananas everywhere. They had bananas I mean, they, they had the bananas on the, on the tables, and then they had boxes of bananas. I mean, I'd never seen so many bananas in a store in my life. Uh, they were everywhere. And people were walking by and looking at them and leaving because they were green. 
when Mary said, can you go by the store and get some bananas, she didn't mean green bananas. She wanted ripe bananas. Uh, that's why there were so many bananas. Nobody was taking them. See, what you want, you're looking for those bananas, the yellow bananas with some green up around the stalk there. It'll last a couple of days. Okay? What does this say here? God will take time to do us the most good. We get so desperate that we want deliverance right now, but God will take time to do you the most good, and you may want a banana, but he will not give you a green banana because that won't help you. He will give you a, a deliverance that is right, and it is ripe. It's all about timing. So sometimes we have to trust him for his timing, even as we're feeling great pressure. If he's taking time, it's to do you more good. And you just have to trust him with that. And the last one is, Sedgwick says, he takes time, but he doesn't waste time. He will never waste your time. Why is it so often in Scripture you read the word wait, 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 wait? We don't want to wait. But so often in times in Scripture, we're told to wait. We'll finish with Galatians 6, verse 9. Um, when we are, <laughs> when we're under pressure, once again, He will give you your daily bread. He will give you your daily manna. Yeah, but I've got more riding on this, and I've got other stuff, and I'm getting pressed in, and I've got this issue and this issue. He knows that. He knows that. You know He knows it. All right, here's what happens. As he takes time to do us good, what happens is we get fatigued, we get tired, we just get worn out from the struggle. We get worn out from the weight. We start to lose our hope. We just get overwhelmed. We get, quite frankly, we, at times we just get exhausted waiting for a deliverance. Am, am I making any sense to anybody in this room? Okay. All right. So look at Galatians 6, verse 9. Because see, see, here's the danger when you're having to wait. When God is taking time and you're having to wait, the danger is that you will lose heart. He's never going to come through. He's never going to make a way. I'm going to be in this forever. All right, watch this. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in, watch this, due time. We will reap if we do not grow weary. In due time. In due time. He owns time, and he's all about timing. So you're saying, Steve, i got to tell you, I'm kind of exhausted, I'm worn out. Uh, there are guys in here that are on the verge of losing heart. I, 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 you know what? I've, I, I've done really well this year. I, I really have. And I found myself last, last couple of days, last couple, the last week, some pressures were showing up. And anyway, I, I had to go walk last night. I mentioned that. Because I caught myself starting a little bit to lose heart. Just a little bit. Not just a little bit. So... So you know what I had to do? I had to take a walk. And this stuff that I'm teaching, and I'm, and I'm just, there's nobody around that I could see. So I'm just talking, and I talk out loud. And if anybody sees me, they think I'm on a cell phone <laughs> in my ear. So you can do that now, and it's okay. You see, guys, you see guys just walking in the store talking out loud? And you used to think you'd call the cops, but you don't do that anymore because you know the guy's honed in. So I just walk around and I'm just talking out loud and I'm, and I'm saying all this to the Lord about my situation and then all of a sudden as I'm saying this, I, I started thinking and then I got to teach tomorrow, help me as I teach and you know what hit me? Huh. So what is it I'm teaching on tomorrow night? Hmm. Well, isn't that kind of interesting? Because you see, and this always happens. What I'm going to teach on, he's very interested in me actually applying to my own life. Huh. Maybe that's why this is going on. 
See, I love to teach. <laughs> I, I do. I'm honored I get to teach. But he just doesn't want me to be a hearer of the word. He wants me to be a doer because when I do it and I think and I ponder, I get peace and it stabilizes my heart. And I trust him for his time. And I can trust him. He's proven himself worthy. My times and your times are in his hands. We're good. We're good. Of all men, we're most blessed. Our times are in his hands. We're going to make it. Because he's the bread of life. Thank you, Father. For your times and your timing. Encourage us now. Encourage us on our way home. Help us to ponder this. Help us to apply it. Help us to fight off fear and refuse to panic. And to praise you for where we are. And praise you that you will send a well-timed help. We trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.